The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche, Song of Solomon, written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. It had been a long week, and it looked like it was only going to get longer. John and Sarah had been deployed twice already, responding to new major attacks. The Thulians were stepping up their game, and the attacks were coming more and more frequently. First it had been a major rail yard near Atlanta, then a nuclear power plant right on the border with Alabama. The power plant had been a tough one. The security forces weren't a match for the combined Thulian assault. Most of the guards were rent-a-cops with a couple of weeks' training, maybe a few years on the job working on a beer gut or counting the days until retirement. With the War on Terror, a lot of them had had AR-15s shoved into their hands, a couple of pamphlets on terrorism and NBC, nuclear, biological, and chemical, precautions, and expected to be prepared to defend the plant. The smart ones had run when the Thulians had shown up. Most of the brave ones had died, despite everything John and Sarah had done to help. The plant itself was going to be under repair for at least three months. John didn't want to think what would have happened if the Thulians had been able to take it out, and the havoc all that nuclear material would have played with the entire South. John almost missed the days of the pop-up attacks from before the fall of Metis. If it were still business as usual, as it had been back then, he and Sarah could have been used a bit more tactically instead of like strategic assets— going and actually hunting the Thulians, instead of responding to their attacks. Recon, infiltration, destroying high-value targets or rescuing VIPs were the things that he had used to live for. Hell, if they weren't on call at all hours of the day, they might have even been able to go visit Zack surreptitiously. And probably not, all told. After all that shit with the feds, we're probably being watched more than ever. Hell hath no fury like a bureaucrat scorned. No rest for the wicked. They had another call. John and Sarah were flying hard and fast for the port in Savannah. It would be the second time they had to defend it. Usually the Thulians didn't try to hit the same location twice, especially after they knew that it was within range of John and Sarah. Almost too late, three death spheres had been detected going for the port. One F-15 had valiantly tried to intercept them, but was destroyed. Pilot lost. The three death spheres were larger than the most commonly encountered ones, not as big as the gigantic one that Vicky and the orbital hammer weapons platform had taken out in the battle at the Superstition Mountains, but still too damned big for John's liking. Troop carriers with that crazy space-bending tech. How many suits of armor do they have in there? Dozens? Hundreds? It didn't matter. However many Thulians there were, John and Sarah could not allow the port to fall. It was the fourth biggest port on the East Coast, and losing it would be a horrendous blow to the war effort. There had been some international shipments hit on the open seas already, but it seemed that those were more might-as-well attacks as death spheres were on their way to juicier targets. John double-checked their position on a wrist-mounted PDA. He could feel where they needed to go— and had his Overwatch HUD projecting their flight path, but he liked redundancy when it came to navigation. Almost there, darling, he sent to Sarah. 
the roar of the fires that were propelling them, in addition to the wind from how fast they were flying, made verbal communication all but impossible. The situation is very bad, love. I think they are offloading troops into the ocean and having them walk the floor of the bay to the shore. The water will protect them until they are right at the edge of the docks. It was a different tactic than the Thulians had used last time. A little sneakier, at least for Thulians. Got your boots on? I think we'll have to kick them right back into the ocean, he sent her with a hint of a chuckle. If only it were that easy. The port was supposed to have some defenses, anti-aircraft guns and missile systems, and two of the missile launchers that used the Echo, CCCP, incendiary loads, as well as several teams of soldiers to man it all and provide ground security. It wouldn't be enough to hold off a sustained assault, though. That's where he and Sarah came in. Hopefully. Heads up. They're offloading in the ocean. That was Vicky, confirming what Sarah had guessed. You won't be able to hit them until they're out of the water. They must have modded the suits for an onboard O2 supply. I've cleared you through and sent your flight pads and vectors to the ground support so you don't get splashed before you can help. Roger that, Vic. We're breaking through and ought to have visual on the port right about now. On cue, John and Sarah came out of the low clouds they had been flying through and were greeted with a bird's-eye view of the port of Savannah. Three death spheres were descending on it from the east, heading straight for the canal. Streams of AA shells lashed out at the death spheres, the tracers looking like angry fireflies in the early morning twilight. Contrails from surface-to-air missiles trailed up impossibly fast towards the spheres. The missiles either missed, or more often than not, were shot out of the air by actinic energy blasts. The spheres looked like they hadn't taken any damage by the time they hit the water, submerging completely with tremendous gouts of water splashing out from the impact. Let's get to work. The more that they had been using their battle sense, the easier it had become for John to enter into it with Sarah. Now it hardly required any conscious thought. One moment he was in the present, and then he was seeing possibility. Studying the futures for a moment, he and Sarah both knew what they had to do. Instead of diving for the docks or the position in the water where the death spheres had submerged, he and Sarah simultaneously angled their flight sharply to the right, aiming for a spot over top of one of the defensive emplacements. Looking on from the outside, it would seem like they weren't reacting quickly enough to what was happening. They weren't reacting at all, in fact, but anticipating. Seconds later, two of the death spheres emerged from the canal in sprays of water, the first rays of true sunlight striking their glistening hulls. They split up from each other, aiming at either end of the docks. The defensive batteries opened up again, trying to track the aggressors, still to no apparent effect. The Thulians had actually been learning, it seemed. Instead of just throwing troops at a problem and counting on the relative invulnerability of their armor, they had adjusted tactics, carefully marshalling their assets. They knew they could be hurt and did their best to prevent that. Not like the first Kriegers, the ones actually wearing swastikas. I don't like fighting this new breed any more than I did their predecessors. The defenders figured out what was about to happen. The Death Spheres were going to make attack runs on their positions, softening them up for a push from the troopers that the ships had undoubtedly dropped off. Troopers that would be protected by the water until they leapt up on the docks themselves. The soldiers on the docks hunkered down, those that could at least. 
The operators on the AA emplacements and the missile systems continued to fire their weapons. They knew what the score was. If they stopped firing, there'd be no chance to take down the Death Spheres. Even allowing one to run amok would have been more than enough to catastrophically damage the docks, maybe even the surrounding civilian population. They were there to prevent that, even if it meant dying in place. The Death Sphere on the right-hand side of the docks from where the Thulians had landed was just about to start its run. The whine of its energy cannons ramping up was audible over the cacophony of the other weapons, and sinister orange light began to spill from the thermite ports on its underside. Right before it could begin raining death down on the soldiers on the docks, Sarah separated from John. She pulled up and hovered, while John slowed and formed up behind her, and one hand on her shoulder, while manifesting his fire claymore with the other. The spear of fire that she manifested was brighter and hotter than the ones she had produced at the beginning of the attack on Ultima Thule. She flung it, and it burned through the air like a meteor, impaling the death sphere like an apple on a stick. Its attack run halted in mid-air. It seemed as if the sphere was shuddering in place, that something critical inside of it had jammed and was keeping it from moving. The weapons were still functional and entered the last stage before they discharged. Without hesitation, John and Sarah dove towards the end of the spear sticking out from the sphere and pushed. There was a whomp of displaced air from the blast wave of the explosion that followed. The death sphere split in half, part of it completely disintegrated, and a smaller section fell flaming into the canal. Through the cloud of flame where the death sphere had been came Sarah and John, flying directly for the next death sphere. John with his sword at the ready, and Sarah with her own sword and another spear, looking like two avenging gods come to exact justice. The second death sphere veered suddenly and sharply skyward, putting on speed and gaining distance from the docks. That one isn't going to trouble us for a bit, darling. Let's get to the docks. Agreed. Those troopers are about to leap out of the water. Let's give them a warm welcome, then. The couple picked a landing spot in the dead center of the cement docks, about two hundred feet back from the edge. If they stood right at the edge, they'd be vulnerable to shots from the trooper energy cannons coming from the waters below. From where they were right now, they'd be able to respond to any that made it onto the docks. And the docks themselves were a good place to fight, essentially giant cement slabs built to take accidental low-speed ramming by enormous cargo ships. Rail tugs were frantically moving as much cargo away from the combat area as possible, though. There were millions of pounds of cargo containers, and no way to move more than a fraction of it away in time. Brave, if a bit ill-advised. Can't imagine that the cargo was worth dying over, even for union wages. John keyed his comms. Vic, tell the soldiers to keep the edges hemmed in when the troopers get up on the docks. Sarah and I will take care of the bulk of them in the middle. If they get around the security forces, we'll do our best to take them out before they do too much damage. Copy that? You're patched in now. Just say docks and it'll go straight to C&C there. As always, John had to marvel at her ingenuity and resources. He relayed the message to the CO for the security forces on the docks. Thank God you're here came back the response. I'm glad they sent you two. Just tell us what you want, you've got it. John gave the soldier on the other end of the line a quick rundown. All that was left for John and Sarah was to wait. It was a tense minute before the troopers made their presence known. John and Sarah were ready. If they had been in any immediate danger, their battle sense would have let them know. 
As one, an entire rank of troopers leapt from the canal in a shower of water droplets, landing on their feet on the dock. The first line was followed by a second, then a third, then a fourth. Immediately, the first two ranks activated energy shields that sprouted from their arm cannons, interlocking the shields to close any gaps in the front. John and Sarah knew from previous experience that the troopers with shields on wouldn't be able to shoot, or even move very quickly. So long as they kept those shields up, they'd be almost completely protected from anything that might attack them from the front. The lines of troopers stretched for four hundred feet. There must have been at least one hundred troopers altogether. Everyone held their breath as the troopers stood stock still, dripping with water and waiting. That changed when a pack of ten robo-wolves leapt from the water, completely clearing the ranks of the troopers and landing with a crash in front of them. The wolves didn't wait. They immediately surged forward, using their momentum to get a fast start. The defensive batteries and soldiers on the ground began firing, at first wildly at the wolves and the ranks of troopers. After a moment, their commanders regained control, and the sectors for fire were established. The soldiers would keep the troopers and the wolves concentrated in one area. Now it was time for John and Sarah to do their job. The thing to do would be to shock these troopers, who hadn't been at the defeat of Ultima Thule, and the best way to do that would be to punch a hole where they thought they were strongest. John amped himself up, then let go with a steady blast of fire. It wasn't nearly as hot as he could make it, just enough to give them something to think about, keep them buttoned up. Sarah jumped into it and ran for the troopers, hidden in the glare. They were already reeling from the impact against the shields when she reached the front lines. They could hold off some of the effect with their energy shields, but not even those shields were impervious to the incredible heat roiling off the point of impact. Then Sarah got there. She had manifested her fire sword and lay about her like a whirling dervish, attacking the shields where her battle sense told her they were weakest. Unable to see her through the glare of John's fire, the troopers had to strike where they guessed she was, and their guesses were no match for her speed. John held the fire as long as he could. An instant before he had to cut it off, she leapt into the air, assisted by her wings, blazing as white-hot as a star herself, and landed at his side again. There were at least twenty troopers down, right in the center of the Thulians' formation. It was clear from the smoking holes and severed parts that the ones that had fallen would not be getting back up again. The Thulians, while shaken and not having anticipated taking so many losses so early, reacted more swiftly than John had expected. They split their formation into two groups right where the hole had been created. Now they were firing back. The soldiers in the front rows would part long enough for three or four troopers with arm cannons to let loose with a fusillade of energy blasts or power armor-enhanced grenade throws. Where the blasts or grenades hit their mark, they were devastating. Luckily, very few found their intended targets, most detonating harmlessly on the docks or trailing off into the sky to dissipate. When John and Sarah were the intended targets, they simply were not there when the blows came. Their battle sense showed them where the blast or grenade was going to fall, and they evaded everything but a few flying chips of concrete. They didn't have time to rest. The wolves were almost upon them. Instead of standing and waiting for the wolves, John and Sarah charged at them. With John's enhancements and Sarah's wingbeats, they moved almost too fast for the eye to track effectively. The wolves faltered for a moment, trying to figure out how to attack the couple. 
John and Sarah split from each other, then crossed paths at the last moment, attacking towards the opposite side. John rushed forward, letting the battle sense guide him. His first cut split a wolf from shoulder to hip, sending sprays of sparks and ruined parts clattering across the docks. The second wolf he faced snapped at his head. He dodged under the flashing metallic jaws easily, swinging his sword, in an easy two-handed strike horizontally, lopping off the front paws of the wolf and part of its underside. It struggled uselessly, scraping against the concrete as it tried to push itself forward with its hind legs. John ignored that wolf for the moment. It wasn't a threat for now. He kicked off the ground hard, his fires bursting from his lower legs and feet and propelling him into the air. A half-second later, alloy claws raked the ground where he had been standing, carving deep furrows in the concrete. He turned in the air and thrust his right arm out in one motion. A lance of fire burst from his palm, striking the offending third wolf square in the forehead. The beam of fire burned through the wolf's head and body in a flash, splashing against the concrete behind and beneath it. Something inside of the wolf detonated, sending flames and an acrid cloud of black smoke outward. The fourth and fifth wolves leapt for him at the same time, trying to pin him in the air. John felt the attack coming, even though they were attacking from his blind spots on either side. Without a flourish, he spun in place, bringing his sword up first in a rising cut from his right hip to his left shoulder, then back down again from his right shoulder to his left hip. The two cuts separated the wolves' heads from their shoulders in an instant. John moved forward a few feet just in time, as the wolves' decapitated chassis slammed into each other mid-air before crashing into the ground. The final amputee wolf was still crawling towards the center of the docks, single-minded in its purpose. He hovered for a moment, then unleashed his fires, letting them flow from his sword point and his arms. The flames washed around the final wolf, completely engulfing it. Slowly, he amped up the intensity, turning the mechanical horror to molten and smoking slag. That'll do it. As he landed, he glanced at Sarah. There were pieces of wolf scattered all about her, and no sign of a whole one. It looked as if she had duplicated the wild spinning she had performed among the Thulian troopers, simply turning and moving too fast to be tracked and letting her fire sword cut through whatever had gotten in her way. The wolves, however advanced their programming, didn't have the same self-preservation that the troopers had. Their entire purpose was to attack, and they had been seemingly happy to oblige Sarah by running right for her. I think we have somehow learned to tune our fire so it is at the precise temperature to be most effective, Sarah said in his mind, sounding just a little puzzled. Otherwise, this seems much easier than last time. Like the man said, great kid, don't get cocky. We've still got quite a few of these bastards to deal with. Sarah was already at his side again, fire sword at the ready, as their battle sense showed a barrage of energy grenades about to be launched at the defensive emplacements. Sarah placed her hand atop John's shoulder and concentrated. Immediately he felt energy flooding into him. He took a deep breath, visualizing what he wanted to do, forming it to what was going to happen, changing that possibility into a reality. Energy blasts flash all around the pair. They knew that they would have warning if any were really going to threaten them. The Thulians were still shaken, first from the couple's opening assault, and then the ease with which they dispatched the robo-wolves. For this instant, they both ignored what was going on around them, staring deeply into each other's glowing, golden eyes. 
eyes that were mirror images of how Sarah's had looked before. Then their eyes snapped up to concentrate on the thrown grenades, sailing high over their heads. John's arms shot upwards, his sword dissipating into a gigantic cloud of fire that raced to meet the grenades. As soon as the wall of fire met the grenades, they each detonated, forming perfect spheres of blue-white destructive energy, like novas forming and disappearing in a nebula of fire. Just as quickly, John shut the fires off, leaving no evidence that they had ever been there. The Thulians had halted their advance, both groups now orienting to face John and Sarah exclusively. Finally getting the message that we're the ones to worry about, huh, fellas? This is a good thing. But as you said to me, do not get cocky. Let's wrap up this bunch. I got a feeling that this isn't going to be over quite yet. A new voice sounded in his ear. Not Vicky, young and male. Earl Smasher, this is Angel Flight. Do you copy? For one startled moment, he thought this might be... Siblings? Sarah's... Well, would you call them relatives? But then he remembered, from the assault in New Mexico, Angel Flight had been the designation of the Navy Blue Angels. No longer amusing the crowds at air shows, they and the Thunderbirds were now a bona fide elite strike force, and it seemed were partnered with him and Sarah. Go, Angel Flight, he replied, keeping a wary eye and the battle sense on the Thulians, who it seemed had not yet made up their mind about their next move. We are in position to offer Danger Close Fire on a strafing run on your signal. Danger Close Fire will commence 15 seconds from your go. Roger that. We'll update targets for you. Key in on the southern side of the docks. That'll be the likely target zone. Stay frosty. Southern docks. Copy that. Out. Ready, darling? Sarah turned her head slightly and smiled at him, her eyes going to blue, briefly, before turning to the shining gold that meant they were in sync and their powers were at full. Always. Both of them leaned out of the way as an energy blast split the air between them. A beat later, both of them were charging at the two groups of trooper armor, John at the one on the right, Sarah at the one on the left. Energy blasts ripped apart fissures in the dock around the couple, sending steaming chunks of concrete into the air. John put an extra burst of speed on, his enhancements already keyed up. At the last second before he would have hit the trooper formation, he juked to the right, hard. With his left hand he sent an explosive blast of concentrated plasma at the leftmost edge of the troopers. It struck the ground, and also the lower legs of three troopers, before erupting in a booming explosion. Then John was among the troopers, slashing with his sword or blasting with fire. John felt as if he could have closed his eyes and been in no more danger than he already was. He knew where the attacks were coming from. If there was a juncture where he would be overwhelmed, he sidestepped it, went around or above, did something unexpected to break up the pattern. To his left, he sensed Sarah weaving her own deadly dance of fire and sword and spear, just as sure in her movements as he was, and just as inescapable. It was wonderful. It was terrible. It was awful, in the ancient sense of the word. He was reminded of his moment of weakness, facing the Thulians alone at the academy in the woods, wielding all of that power, alone, with no moderating force. He understood why op fours and fives were often clinically insane, in one way or another. More than ever, he was glad that he had Sarah with him. 
he felt things coming to a head. He and Sarah weren't working separately, but together. They started to herd the two troops together. It wasn't hard. Any time some of the troopers tried to cut and run or break away, they were cut down, literally in some cases. Where there were openings, a rocket or grenade from the soldiers would impact the bunched-together Thulians. More often than not, it would hit a shield, but occasionally it connected, weakening several suits of armor and setting them alight. Echo ordnance, crafted from Zmei's recipe, and refined so that there were rarely misfires anymore. And where there were, well, it was nothing more than an idle move from John to set the spilled gels on fire. John and Sarah had become surrounded by the massed Thulians. The troopers had seemingly abandoned their assault on the docks for the moment. John could feel their rage at being opposed, their arrogance, and mostly their fear. Fear of John and Sarah. They were all jockeying for position to try to shoot the couple or bludgeon them. John and Sarah kept the troopers just out of reach with swords, spear, and fire. They could have simply flown straight up, escaping the huddle. But why would they? They had the Thulian troopers right where they wanted them. Sarah allowed her sword to dissipate, then slipped her right hand into John's left. He felt the surge of their shared power, felt it coursing through his arm, up his shoulder, and into his chest. He allowed the power to build there, to gather and pool inside of him. Before, whenever he had felt that pressure building, it had only been through supreme willpower that he hadn't lost control and let his fires consume everything. Some metahumans needed great amounts of effort and training in order to ramp up their powers, to use them at their fullest extent. It had never been like that for John. For him, he needed to expend terrible effort to keep the full extent of his powers in check. Now, with Sarah, it was easy. Easy as breathing. I will help you hold it, love. Decide where you want to go. So far and no farther. All he had to do was let it go. Set the boundaries. So. And he did. The explosion formed a perfect dome of white-hot fire that expanded in an instant. It completely inundated the Thulians around John and Sarah, with a diameter of roughly one hundred feet. It stopped well short of any cranes or shipping containers. To observers from the outside, it looked as if someone had dropped half of a star on the docks. The light was too blinding to look at for more than a moment. Sarah moderated the power, keeping it from spilling beyond the boundaries. The only thing she couldn't prevent was the sonic boom that the suddenly expanding air from the heat created. They knew that windows shattered and people felt the reverberations for miles around. Inside of the dome, it was a dance of fire. John and Sarah stood in the center of it all, untouched, while the Thulians that had surrounded them turned dark and then faded into the fire. When they felt that it was done, John shut the fires off, again just as easy as taking a breath. Then again they couldn't for a few minutes. The fires had eaten a lot of the available oxygen in the area. As the fires disappeared, there was a great rush of wind as atmosphere filled the now empty space. There was a perfectly black circle on the concrete where the sphere had been, the top of it scorched and covered with carbon. Both of them went to one knee, simultaneously, for a moment, their eyes turning normal as they regained their strength. Better? Sarah asked, 
panting a little, but not nearly as spent as she had been at the Battle of Ultima Thule when they had expended themselves. Yes, she said, answering her own question as she got to her feet again. Much better. More control. Less waste. Her eyes faded back into gold, as did John's, or so he suspected. Oh, let's make sure we eat a good dinner before we start tangling with any dragons, though. Agreed? Or we have one of those beer hats with Vicky's canned meals in it, she countered with the faintest of chuckles. He shook his head, making a face, and yet he was relieved. These creatures are... I cannot describe it. It is more than... other. It is far more than alien. I have no words. Just that there is no pity and no remorse in them. Only arrogance and great pride. I hope they will learn better on the other side, but they must be cleansed from here. I do not like killing them, but it is better that they are gone, for they will not learn here. They're going to have more company soon. Heads up, darling. They both felt it at the same time. John had the barest lead on her, if only because of his enhanced senses. He had heard what was coming before she could have. A flight of robo-eagles, along with the one death sphere that had retreated earlier. The birds I will enjoy killing. I am glad they are nothing like eight ball. John and Sarah both left the ground at the same time, John kicking off and igniting his fires, Sarah with several powerful wing beats that scattered the ashes at her feet before she was in the air. The eagles and the death sphere didn't alter course. They were coming straight for the couple. It was clear they recognized what the real threat here was. I am faster and more maneuverable than you. Your fires burn hotter, faster. I will engage the birds to keep them from you while you deal with the sphere. When the sphere is down, we can both destroy the birds. Sarah seemed very sure of her strategy, but then she was the aerial combat expert after all. Following your lead, darling. Let's blast these bastards out of the sky. It is my sky, and I do not like them in it. Sarah sped straight for the eagles and then, suddenly, folded her wings and dropped about three yards, just as their focused energy beams from their mouth cannons cut through the air where she had been. Then they were past her position, and she somehow executed a lightning-fast course change and came up behind and above them. Then she was among them. She danced, and her dance was death incarnate. As much as he wanted to watch Sarah work, he didn't have the time. The eagles were keeping her occupied, but there was still the spear. Between the tentacles, the energy cannons, the thermite ports, and whatever other horror the Thulians had cooked up and stuck on it, it was dangerous as all hell. Time to fix that. John put on a burst of speed, closing the distance to the death sphere. Several tentacles lashed out at him. He twisted in the air, most of them narrowly missing him. He didn't want to bob and weave in and out too much. For one, there was no need. He knew where the attacks would be. Second, by making minor course corrections and positioning his body correctly, he didn't wear himself out as fast. Conservation of energy was important in any fight, even with how juiced up he and Sarah were. Despite his efforts, there were a few tentacles that he wouldn't have been able to avoid. Those he simply lopped off with his manifested fire claymore. 
he switched the sword from side to side in a sort of windshield wiper motion in front of him. The sword's double edge easily bit through the Thulean alloy, sending bits of mechanical tentacles plunging towards the ground below. With a final blast of his fires, he spun in the air and landed hard on top of the death sphere relative to the ground. Not giving the pilot's inside a chance to shake him loose, he turned the sword over in his hands so that the point was aimed at his feet, and then thrust with all of his might. The fire claymore passed through the alloy plates with little resistance. Sparks and combustible exhaust issued from the cut, streaming through John's legs and behind the death sphere like a stunt plane smoke run. Working quickly but carefully, he pried the sword back and forth, then turned the blade, making first a second, then a third, and fourth cut. When he was done, he stepped to the side, leaned on the sword, and the squarish section of panel popped out with a metallic ping. Still using his sword as an anchor, he thrust out with his right hand, aiming at the opening he had created. The fires came easily, ramped up into a thick and steady beam of plasma that lanced through the wound in the sphere's hull. John poured the fire in until he was sure the sphere was dead, through and through. Then he simply removed his sword from the hull, and he was flung away in freefall. He stayed that way, his old skydiving and combat parachute training coming back to him. He kept his body arched, with hands and arms splayed out to the sides to stabilize himself. His back was to the ground. He wanted to see this part. A second later, the death sphere exploded brilliantly. It reminded him of the Death Star explosion, the original one before they'd mucked everything up with digital effects. Satisfied, and knowing he was getting uncomfortably close to becoming a wet stain on the concrete below, he kicked his fires back on, propelling him back towards where Sarah and the furball were. There was a litter of eagle parts on the ground beneath the furball, the snarl of aerial combat involving Sarah and the robots. Impossible to say how many she had taken out, but there certainly would be good scavenging for those looking for souvenirs. Oh, you're free, he heard her say calmly in his head, and at the same moment an arrow of flame burst out of the middle of the scrum, and Sarah pulled up at his side. Shall we? It would please me to immolate them. I'd love nothing better, darling. Wait, we're not done. He knew Sarah had felt it, too. There were more Tholians, a complete second wave, about to leap out of the water and onto the docks. They were going to make a mad dash for the interior of the docks, split up into squads, and wreak as much havoc as possible. John got the sense that they wouldn't make the mistake of trying to take he and Sarah head on again. Time for something a little different. Ready to make an attack run of our own, darling? We're gonna have to be fast. More than ready. She waited for him to form his strategy in his mind, and nodded when she saw it. Angel Flight, get ready to make your run, previous target zone. Once you see the fire, you're cleared hot. We're gonna break north to clear out of your way. How copy? Copy, Earl Smasher. Setting up now, we should be in place at your go sign. On it. Smasher out. John glanced over to Sarah, who was hovering at his side. He winked at her, then dove straight down. He knew that she was following, matching his speed, so he put on more. As they sped groundwards, she began manifesting and casting spears, which strafed out ahead of her like fiery rockets. He had no idea how that was even possible, but, well, it was Sarah, after all, and hit the ground on either side of the now-massing troopers. 
Evidently they had expected the pair to be busily engaged with the death sphere and the eagles. The eagles were milling around uncertainly in mid-air. Had Sarah blinded them? At any rate, they were out of the picture for now as Sarah's spears made the troopers bunch up and aim their arm cannons skyward. Energy beams raced out to greet them, but Sarah and John didn't need to dodge much. The troopers didn't have enough time to aim accurate shots at the small, moving targets dropping in on them. Both John and Sarah pulled up sharply at the last second, traveling perpendicular to the ground mere feet above the troopers and wolves. John thrust both of his hands out below him, unleashing jets of billowing fire onto the Mastholians. As soon as he and Sarah were past the end of their ranks, the pair banked sharply to the right. At the speed they were going, it was only their reflexes and battle sense that allowed them to navigate through the cranes and shipping containers that rushed to meet them. John turned his head once he and Sarah were over and past the obstacles. The Thulians were still firing at them, trying to track them and line up good shots. Between the fires that engulfed their ranks and their preoccupation with trying to kill John and Sarah, they never even noticed the jets screaming towards them until the cannons on the F-A-18 Hornets opened up. Softened up by John's fire run, herded together by Sarah's spears, the crowded mass of Thulians was cut to pieces. The angels pulled up and over in a full tight formation barrel roll and came in for a second run, just to be sure. It was clear after they pulled up for the second time there would be no need for a third. John slowed down considerably, banking up and right in a lazy turn that would take him and Sarah back over the docks. There was smoke and a few spot fires, but it looked like all of the machinery and nearly all of the cargo was still intact. It was sheer luck that the Thulians hadn't stayed underwater and gone after the container ships from there. Not a single one was even damaged, as far as he could tell. Overwatch, how's a sitch on the ground look? We make out okay? We did all right. One group of the National Guard was in the wrong place when a grenade went off. Three down. Way better than if you and Sarah hadn't been there. Port of Toulouse in France. Not so good. Echo and Avion France had to choose between them and Paris, and Paris won. Oh, damn it. Copy that, Vic. We're RTB at the moment, unless you've got a game for us to get into. Nothing close enough for you to get to. The Germans based in Alsace and the French met up after clearing Paris and Fredericksburg. They're just reaching Toulouse now. Roger. We're coming home, then. Keep the steak hot and the beers cold. Murdoch and Murdoch out. John cut the mic after that. He and Sarah had saved a lot of people today. They had saved the docks, which, while important for the war effort and keeping the already teetering economy going, wasn't nearly as important to him as the people that worked at it and defended it. Even with everything that he and Sarah could do, people were still dying out there, and far too many of them. It pissed him off more than anything. Even before... I could not be everywhere, beloved. Too often I was forced to make choices. She glanced over him, her expression sober, her eyes fading from gold to blue. I know, darling, he sent to Sarah, casting a quick glance to the side to view her in flight. Any more than a quick glance in his trajectory might change. Still doesn't make it any less shitty and frustrating. If only we had a place to stick the knife really take it to the Thulians like an ultimate Thule. He could imagine, vividly, exactly what he would do to wherever the Thulians were holed up. He shook his head quickly, clearing his mind. Let's get back home. I could use a shower. 
among other things. And we will plan for next time, she agreed. They will learn from this. We must assume they have, and be ready. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.